Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Hey. Hey, welcome back. And I just want to say thank you so much to Jess. She's in the room with us today. You heard the people applauding. Can you guys at home give it up for her one more time for sharing that story? Come on. Jess, thank you for sharing that. And I want you to know I'm believing for that one as well. Well, hey, we are at the end of a series that we're calling For the One. And if you're new with us today, I want you to know that this has been an incredible series and you need to go back and listen to the rest of the sermons. But this hasn't simply just been a series or a campaign. The reason we're in this is because we are truly after the one. See, when the doors of the, cl- the church closed uh, months back, a lot of people found themselves disengaged from church. They stopped uh, obviously coming to the building, but they didn't move into the online space. And the national statistics says that 35 to 40% of people have found themselves outside of the church, not connected to the online, not com- connected to community, not connected to anybody. And it's the same way here in the Father's house. And we are not okay with that. We're not okay with people being outside of community. And this isn't just a great sermon topic. This isn't just a campaign, but this is truly the heart of the Father because he is for the one. And our goal in this is to see people come back into the fold, to invite those back in who've maybe been lost and off on their own. And I wanna say thank you to our church. There's, as David mentioned so well, that there's uh, about 80 people that took on the task of calling and reaching out to people that are outside. So I wanna give it up for you. Thank you for reaching out to our people, but it's not just about phone calls and being a part of this back-end system. It's about every single one of us because it's God's heart that he would use us to reach out to the one, to those who are far out that need to be pulled back in. And I want you to know we're at the end of this series, but just because this is coming to the close doesn't mean that we're not gonna be for the one after this. I wanna remind you of our vision statement here at the Father's House. We exist so that people can find life in Jesus. And we're not going to stop being for the one. This is going to be who we are for the rest of our days because we're not satisfied until all the people who need to know about Jesus get an opportunity to say yes to him. Amen. Well, we found uh, this topic and this title for this series out of Luke chapter 15. And if you haven't been with us the last three weeks, I wanna do a quick recap. Now, uh, Tim started off this series talking about some sheep for the first two weeks. See, in Luke 15, Jesus is telling a series of parables. And that first parable was all about the sheep and about how Jesus goes out to find that one and bring him back in. And then week two, we talked about how when you're no longer the lost sheep, you become the seeking shepherd. And then week three, we talked about how a coin is different than a sheep because a coin can't cry out for itself. 
And then today, we get to jump in to the last portion of Luke chapter 15. We've talked about animals. We've talked about currency. Now we get to talk about some people. So... I want to remind us that Luke 15 isn't a bunch of separate stories, a bunch of separate sermons, but this is Jesus sitting down, teaching his disciples and another group of people, and this was one teaching. He sat down, and each one of these parables has to do with the other. They kind of build on top of each other, like a really good infomercial, like, but wait, there's more. See, there's more that Jesus wants to unpack and show us because he wants us to get his heart for his people. He wants us to get his heart that he is all about the one and he wants us to know what he's willing to do for the one. So today, we're going to jump into the last part of Luke chapter 15. We're gonna start in verse 11. I'm gonna read this out. It'll be on the screen for you as well. It says this. To illustrate this point even further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed his bags and all his belongings and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money with wild living say rebellious teenager. So this son took all the money and he squandered it. He ran out of money, but what happened next was a famine hit, something he didn't expect. And he didn't just not have any money, but he was homeless. He didn't have a place to go. So this son eventually convinces a farmer to hire him. And the only job he could find during this famine was feeding pigs. Now, I want you to picture a good kosher Jewish boy feeding pigs. That's where he was at. We pick it up in verse 20. It says, so he returned, or sorry, right before that, he, he realizes, what am I doing here? And he came to his senses, the Bible says. He says, I don't have any food to eat. I don't have any clothes. I don't have a, a house over my head. And he began thinking about his father's servants, the hired servants. Even they had enough, enough food to eat. And here he was, homeless and hungry. So he decided he'd go back to his father's house. Now we'll pick it up in verse 20. He says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. And then his father said, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill a calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he is returned. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Now, meanwhile, the older brother was in the field working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the, in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. When he found out that his younger brother was home, the older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. His father came and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you've told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even a young goat to feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fatted calf. 
I feel like this is an appropriate time to pray. How about you? <laughs> Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, this isn't simply a series and a collection of sermons, but this is your heart to go after the one. And so even I, I pray right now, every person that is far off, every person that isn't in the house, every person that's doing their own thing right now, we, we call them back home. Those lost sons and daughters, the parents, the friends, the people that we've been maybe reaching out to and praying for, we pray for them. And I also pray that we would catch the Father's heart and you'd speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So because of the title of this parable, they call it the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. Because of that title, we can begin to assume that this is talking about just the prodigal son, that the main character of this whole story is this lost son. But, you know, I understand the prodigal son story is incredible. It's a whole bunch of people's favorite story. And I see why, I mean, it's relatable. There's an incredible story impact in here. But what I want us to see is that this isn't just a story about this lost son. It's not the lost son who's the main character in this story. See, what Jesus wants us to see is that the most important character in this story is the father. See, this story is much less about a sinning son as it is about a running father. And like any good parable, our job when we read a parable is to figure out who we are in the scenario, who we are in the story. But I don't want us to just identify who we are. I want us to come to see what type of father is in this story. I think it's important for us to examine the heavenly father. And I think we need to do that because a whole lot of people have the wrong picture and image of the Heavenly Father. See, many people view the Heavenly Father as this stern, frustrated, rigid, higher power that's looking down on his people in disappointment. But that's not the story here. And I think it's vitally important that we have an accurate view of the Father because if we see the father wrong, then we see this story wrong. And in fact, I believe that if we have a wrong view of the heavenly father, we'll find ourselves behaving more like the older brother. So today, I want us to unpack and look at the difference between the heavenly father or the father in this story and the older brother when it comes to the son returning home. See this son, you can imagine him as he's coming back to his father when he finally comes to his senses and realizes I need to get home. I imagine he's walking and he's probably walking in a slow pace because, well, he hasn't eaten in a long time and he's probably dirty and smelly from hanging out with the pigs. He probably has tattered clothes and maybe he's got a couple tattoos and a lip ring from his wild living. I don't know, as you do. But I imagine him not just walking slowly because he's exhausted from lack of nutrition. I see him with his head hung low, contemplating, will my father even accept me? 
Will he even let me be one of his hired servants? And the thought in his mind of, will the father even accept me? Will he even let me in? Was an accurate thing for him to think at the time. See, because if you understand the cultural context here, you'd understand that it would have been so disrespectful in the first place for the son to ask for his inheritance early. And not only was it disrespectful for him to ask for it, but it was dishonoring how he spent it. That he went out in wild living and parties and indulged in, in things that were not becoming of a good Jewish family. And it wasn't just the father that knew he was dishonored and disrespected, but I mean, think about any community. You know people talked. You know people heard what was happening over at their farm. What happened to that son? What he was doing with all the money and all the time and where he had gone. But he had dishonored his family. And not only that, he had spent time with the unclean pigs. So not only was he dishonored and in this despicable place, but he was considered unclean. So he had a very good reason to believe, maybe my father won't let me back in. Maybe he won't even accept me as this hired servant. And we see in verse 20, something much different. It says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw the son coming and he ran to him. You see, the son walked, but the father ran. And that might be a very interesting thing to point out, but again, cultural context. See, a man, a Jewish man of this age was distinguished. He had slaves, he had servants. There was no reason for a Jewish man of his age and stature to run. But the moment he got a glimpse of his son, the moment he realized it was him, he took off running like he didn't care who was looking, who was watching. He ran as fast as his feet could carry him to that son. See, the father ran because he was committed to the one. He was committed to his son. Now, if you're a parent in the room, you can relate to this. If your child is lost, you want them to be found. If your child is gone, you want them to come back home. And I know a lot of parents in the room or watching today, you've got some prodigals. You can relate to this story because you've got a lost son or daughter that you've been believing for and hoping for and praying for. And no loving parent would just simply write their child off. Like, you know what? Well, Livy left, but it's fine. I have Ellie. I'll just focus on her. No, that would be unheard of. If you have a child that's far away, you're going to do everything you can to see them come back home. You know, I know parents who've been praying for kids for a long time. And their prayers keep them up at night. And they find themselves pacing the hallways or back in that child's room praying for them. Because no loving parent would want to see their child far away. They'd want to see them come back. See, this isn't the picture of a heavenly father standing on the porch with his arms crossed. 
sternly looking at his son walking, saying, you disappointed me. How dare you even try and come back? Now, this is a picture of a father, kind of like that mom who would go in her kid's room and pray for them to come home. You know what I imagine this father doing? I imagine him coming out to that porch day after day because he knew if my son comes home, he's going to come home through that road. That's the only way to this place. And I see him standing on that porch, looking out, imagining his son walking towards him, imagining his son coming home, praying for his son to come back. That's the picture of the father. You see, it's that heavenly father who doesn't just who doesn't stand on the porch and just wait for you to come back. But he runs. He takes off to meet him. The moment his son decides to come back home, he takes off and he meets him where he's at. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the father ran to the son because regardless of the distance, regardless of the sin, regardless of the failure, he was still his son. And some of you need to know today, those of you who are distant from the father, you spent some time away from him in the pit, indulging in sin. There's no need to rehearse your return speech. There's no need to rehearse your return walk. Why? Because the moment, the moment that you decide to turn and walk back towards him, he'll run out to meet you. See, the father ran out to meet his son and he embraced him. That's what he does for us. See, the father, he ran, but the brother he responded differently. The father ran, but the older brother forgot. The story tells us within, when the older brother came in from working in the field, he heard a party going on. And he responded by saying, what's going on? Like, what, what's happening here? What's the need for all of this noise? See, there was no thought in the brother's mind that maybe there could have been a celebration happening for his brother. There was no thought that his brother would even possibly have returned. See, the brother had already written him off. The brother had already moved on with his life. Similarly, how quickly do we in the church sometimes forget about those who've wandered off? Oh, and that brother or that sister that we used to see show up to church or see on the online chat, or show up to the Zoom group, or show up to the park meetup. And you know, pretty soon they, they stop showing up. And maybe you text them, and maybe they don't text you back right away, and maybe they're kind of those people that are a little bit hard to chase after. Ah, oh, it takes a little bit too much energy. How quickly do we sometimes forget those people? How quickly do we stop reaching out? But that's not the heart of the father. He doesn't forget. He doesn't say, ah, oh, you know what, it's okay. I've got other children I can focus on. No, 
he remembers them. In fact, the father is so committed that he doesn't just remember them, but he runs to them. He, church, I think we need to remember, especially in this season, that some people need to be chased down. Some people need to be sought after. We need to remember what it is Jesus tells us. He said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And I have a question for us tonight or today. I want to ask you, who have you stopped running after? Who was it that you pursued before? Who was it that you reached out to before? Who was it that was on your prayer list, but then somehow it got dusty or that sticky note fell off your Bible? Who was it that you used to reach out to? Who'd we stop running after? Was it that friend, that coworker, that small group member that went MIA? And I'm not just asking you this question today. It's a question that I've asked myself. A few weeks ago, I asked myself, who have you forgotten? Who are the people that you used to run after and pursue? Those who were far from Jesus or needed some hope or some love or needed to be pulled back into the house. And very quickly, God put a picture of two people in my mind. Um, if you've been a part of our church community, then you've heard me talk before about uh, how a couple years ago when I was in my living room, uh, I was doing what I do best and that's people watching because there's a walking path across from my house and I tend to just know everybody that walks and their jogging routine because I'm a creeper. And I told you a story about how one day I looked out and there was a man that I saw fall down and have a heart attack on the on the walking path across from my house. And he was with his wife and I was able to run out there and go and help in the situation. Well, unfortunately, the man ended up passing away. But what happened is I developed somewhat of a relationship with his wife and his daughter in their morning. Now we would, we would talk, we would uh, text, we would communicate on a pretty regular basis, but then it began to fizzle out. I mean, they didn't return my text or I didn't return theirs. And when God showed me those two people, I was so convicted. I'm like, God, I've forgotten them. I haven't reached out in so long. And I committed right then. I said, God, next time I see them, I will run after them. Like literally run after them because there's a running path across the street from my house. So of course, God does what he does. And three days later, I am pulling up to the house with Tim on a Saturday morning and I see the two of them jogging. I see the mom and daughter jogging. And I said nothing to Tim. I just jumped out of the car. I ran across the street like a crazy person because that's what I do. And I even forgot what shoes I was wearing. I had some of those like slide mules on and they were like, I, I, I almost got hit by a car. Then I got across to the path. But then all I'm doing is just jogging after them because they have earbuds in and they're both listening to music. And I'm just running behind them like, hey, hey, just looking like a ridiculous, insane woman, which is fine because eventually I got to them and they heard me, but it took me running after them. It took me getting out of my space and me and running towards them. So I ask you again, who have you stopped running after? I think we need to ask ourselves that right now. The second thing I want us to see is that we need 
first to be willing to run to the one, but we also have to see them as a son. And all the ladies said, or daughter. (laughs) So back to the lost son on the road. The son was journeying home and he had some time to contemplate his life. He had time to contemplate what it was that he was going to say to his dad, his return speech. He said this, I'll go back to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me back as a hired servant. A little bit more cultural context here. You see, a son back then was privileged. An ordinary slave uh, was in some sense still considered a part of the family. But a hired servant was more like a day laborer. They could be let go at a day's notice. They weren't a part of the family at all. But after the father meets the son and they embrace, do you know what happens? The father doesn't give the son even an opportunity to give him his speech. He had it so well planned, but the father busts into dialogue with his son and guess who he talks to right after that? A hired servant. He tells one of his hired servants, he says, quick, bring me the finest robe, a ring for his finger and shoes for his feet. See, the robe, it represented honor. The ring, authority, and shoes for his feet. Well, hired servants and slaves, they didn't wear shoes. Only sons and daughters did. So the father sees him and embraces him in this way and honors him. See, the father saw him as a son even though he didn't feel worthy enough to be called a son. See, the idea that he would have to earn his way back, that he would be a second-class citizen, there was nothing in the father's mind that that was even accurate. No, he said, you're still my son. I feel like somebody needs to hear that today. Maybe you don't see yourself as a son. No matter how you view yourself right now, no matter how much you've messed up, no matter how much you've sinned, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've strayed away, the moment that you head back towards your father, he doesn't make you walk all the way. Instead, he runs after you, he embraces you, and he calls you son. He doesn't say you're a hired servant, you're a slave. No, you are a son. You are a daughter. Now the father saw a son, but remember the older brother saw something else. The older brother saw a sinner. See, this is how the older brother responded in the story. He said to his father, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you've told me to do. Now, I want you to insert that whiny, um, childish voice here because that's what I picture or hear when I read this. And in all that time, you never even gave me a single goat to eat with my friends. You guys can relate to this, right? You always ask your dad for a goat and he never gives you one. (laughs) 
Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fatted calf. See, first, the, the older brother refused to celebrate the son. He refused to join in the party of his brother that was lost and now is found in his back. Not only did he refuse to celebrate him, he refused to even call him brother. He said, your son. He looked at his brother and even though his brother was wearing the robe, all he saw was a sinner. All he saw was the past. All he saw was the bad decisions. All he saw was the sin on his life. That's who he saw him for. So many times, I think when lost sons and daughters come back into the house, come back into the community, instead of being met with celebration, they're met with criticism. They're met with, did they really repent? Like, was that truly a heart decision or was it just in their brain? Like, you know, because I know what type of sin they were involved in just last week. I mean, I, I saw their Instagram feed. And we begin to see this criticism towards those who come back in and we only see them for their sin. Now, let me take it a step further because the brother didn't just see him as a sinner. He was upset that the father was not just celebrating him, but that the father was now supporting him. Because remember, the younger son had squandered his inheritance. The father had sold off part of the land that would would have belonged to the younger brother. And now all he had left was the older brother's inheritance. So the older brother viewed any generosity towards the younger brother, the robe, the shoes, the fatted calf, or anything else spent on him, it was all gonna come out of his inheritance. See, the older brother was upset because it was gonna cost him something for this son to come home. And the truth is, going after the one, it's gonna cost you something. Going after the one is going to cost us. It's going to cost our time, reaching out, calling, texting, inviting in. And maybe that doesn't seem that, like that big of a deal, but as soon as you start building those relationships, it starts eating up your weeknight, all oh, that free night I had, or your weekend, that day that you had. It starts eating into your agenda and your plans. And guess what? Even your money. You see, because when the younger son came back home, he had nothing to contribute. He had nothing to bring to the family. He only took. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but every time you give to the father's house, every time you give your hard-earned money and you tithe or you give, well, that money goes towards housing and feeding spiritual prodigal sons and daughters and actually literally sometimes helping house and feed them. See, because prodigal sons and daughters who are in a broken spot, they don't, they don't have anything to give at first. Yo, some people don't even know what tithing is when they first come in here. Come on. When we understand that it's going to cost us something, but Just like the father supported, we support, we give. 
See, when we start to understand the heart of the father who runs after the one and who calls him son, we start to look less and less like the older brother. We stop looking less and less at just what I can get out of it, the kingdom that I can build, the inheritance that I've built up, my plan, my agenda, what I've got going on in my world. Oh, my eternity is secure. But when we catch the heart of the Father, something says it's less about me and it's more about, more about them. I don't care what time, what energy, what money I give because it's not about me. We start to look more like the Father than the older brother. I have one last story I wanna share and actually band, you guys can come. Uh, Tim and I have the privilege of coaching some church planners uh, through a church planner organization that we're a part of. And about uh, six months ago, we met a handful of couples that we got to start walking with through this process, helping coach them with their strategy and their plan and their vision. Uh, more importantly, we got to pray with these people, people not just in the United States, but some abroad. And it was incredible to get to know some of these people and hear their vision and their stories and what God had done in them. And there's always, you know, a couple of people that you're like, I will remember you. Uh, you, you know, maybe have similar stories or tenacity for people. Well, there's this couple, their names are Brady and Bridget. This incredible couple. And they started a church in Denver, Colorado. Shout out to Denver. Woohoo. Well, they began to share with us their vision for their city, the vision that God had given them. And it inspires me, and I, I think it can inspire us today when it has to do with the one. This is what their vision is. It says, we will risk everything until Colorado looks like heaven. We will risk everything. I love that. Do you know what that says? I'm all in, I'm all in, I'm all in. I, it's not about me. It's not about the things that I can accumulate. It's not about building my kingdom and my inheritance and me, 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 but it's about the one. It's about those who are lost. Father's house, I have a question for us. What are we willing to risk? What are we willing to spend? What are we willing to invest to see San Francisco look a little more like heaven? What are we willing to risk to see the one come home? See, cause I don't think God's called us to have a church that's just about us. We know that we exist so that people can find life in Jesus. Now, I don't believe that the Father's called us to have our lives look like the older brother, but I feel like there's an invitation to catch a little bit more of the Heavenly Father's perspective for His kids, for those who are lost. My hope and prayer is that we would look more like the Father and less like the older brother, that we would run to the one and we would see him as a son. Come on, will you pray with me today? Father, we thank you for your heart. We thank you that you are after the lost ones. 
I pray right now that you would give us a vision for those who are far from you and that it would be our life mission to run after them. God, the people that are surrounding us, the people that we're thinking of right now, that we would risk everything, that we would risk it all to run after those you're calling us to run after, that we wouldn't sit, that we wouldn't sit idly by, but that we would run towards those lost sons and daughters and we would see them as sons and daughters. And right now, I wanna pray for those of you who say, you know what, I'm that prodigal son. I'm that daughter, I'm far away from Jesus. I've been far away from a, for a while and I wanna come back home. Or maybe those of you who've never made a decision to follow after Jesus right now, I believe that the Father is drawing you in, drew you in to turn this on today. He loves you and He's not mad at you. He's not the father with his arms folded on the porch. No, he's the dad that's been standing on the porch waiting for you to come home. And the moment that you turn and run to him, he runs and embraces you. In order to follow after him, it is simple as that. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you are saved. That's what turning around and running in His direction or walking in His direction, or I don't care if you're dragging your body in His direction, just run after Him, turn towards Him today, and He will come and swoop you up and embrace you. Right now, if you wanna follow after Jesus, just say, Jesus, I believe you're Lord, and I wanna give you my life. It's as simple as that. Jesus, we thank you for every person that's making that decision to come home. And we just open up our arms to you and say, we'll embrace them and walk with them. Thank you for every lost son and daughter that's coming home today. Right now, I wanna speak out Luke 15, 24 over you. Those of you who are making a decision to follow after Jesus, it says, for this son of mine was dead and now he is returned to life. Come on, that's what just happened. You've gone from death to life. He was lost, but now he was found. And right now we just join with that verse and we say, so let the party begin. We celebrate with those giving their lives to you. We celebrate with those, come on. If you made that decision to follow after Jesus today, we don't just wanna celebrate you with you, but we wanna help you take your next steps. Uh, there's a button in the live chat and also in the a description in the link on YouTube, follow that and let us know you made that decision so that we can help set you up and start your journey strong. Come on, we love you today. We love you church, thank you for joining us. I pray that each one of us would run after the one and we would see them as a son this week. And then next weekend, I will see you at Stern Grove where we get to celebrate two years. We'll see you at two o'clock for a picnic. We love you guys. Have an incredible weekend. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. Listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, Click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.